Well, thanks, Wayne. It's, it's funny how God really set this up, because Wayne and I didn't really share what we were going to talk about, but yet some of our scriptures are, are pretty close, so if you just bear with me on that. But it's my biggest question for you really today is, how do we seek God more faithfully every day? And how do we, how do we, and do we, keep a godly focus on our problems. Do we, my, 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 one of my favorite sayings is, are we white knuckling everything? Or are we focusing on God? And what I mean by white knuckling is, are we trying to do everything on our own? You know, like the scripture Wayne was sharing, do we really follow that? Or are we too prideful, too pig-headed, too stubborn, too ignorant, whatever it is, you fill in the blank, because that's me. Do we value that more in our own voice than the voice of reason through God? Go with me to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 20. And here lately, I've been reading a lot of, uh, a lot of different books on character, just because that's what really draws my heart of how can I change my heart to have a clearer picture of where God wants me to be at? And in here, this one scripture really goes to the point of what I've been seeking. It says here in 1 Samuel chapter 20, starting in verse 1. Then Daniel fled from Neoth at, at Ramah, if that's how you pronounce it, and went to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he's trying to kill me? Never, Jonathan replied. You're not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything, great or small, without letting me know. Why would he hide this from me? It isn't so. And David replied, um, but, but David took an oath and said, Your father knows very well what I've done. And very, uh, he knows very well, I'm sorry, that, he, that I found favor in your eyes. And he said to himself, Jonathan must not know this, or he will be grieved. And here, you know, if we really look at this, who is Jonathan and who is David? If you really think about it, who are these two guys? And you've got to think about the big picture here. Jonathan, of course was Saul's son, right? Well, who was Saul? He was the king of Israel, right? So what would that make Jonathan? A prince. A prince of the throne. Which, by all rights, he's the next in line to the kingdom, right? He holds those keys to the kingdom, right? But who's David? David was just this, this little shepherd boy. He was the son of Jesse who happened to be a rancher. He owned a lot of property. He had sheep and goats and everything else. That's what made him rich. But he was basically a farmer down the street. Now, if you really think about the contrast between these two, what do they have in common? Nothing, right? Yeah, they did. Because if this is after 
on the time that David slayed Goliath. And when David went up to slay Goliath, he didn't just march up to the battle line and say, hey, I'm going to do this. There was a time that had passed when Goliath went to the battle line every single day. The Bible says over 30 days he went up to the battle line. Who was there in the camp? David's older brothers, right? Saul, who was the tallest among his people, and his son Jonathan. Did they do anything? No, because they feared this big giant. But then they've seen the difference in David. Because here David is a scrawny little kid that went up to the battle line and praised God first and foremost and called out Goliath in the name of Jesus, or I'm sorry, in the name of God, of how can he say blasphemous things against God's own anointed people. And so this is their background. So that stirred within Jonathan, his heart of, he remembered prior to this, him and his armor bearer used to do the same thing. And they used to raid the Philistines' camps, all in the name of God. So that was their common ground. Jonathan at that point, you know, Jonathan went and gave David all his belongings. He went to David and gave him his sword, gave him his, his tunic, gave him his belt. That was basically saying, I transfer everything that I have to you. You are above me. That's how their relationship grew, because of their love for Christ. Now, because of that, they embedded themselves with one another and really poured out their heart and their soul to one another. They were each other's discipling relationships. That's how deep their relationships were. They weren't afraid to share their weaknesses or their strengths. They encouraged and strengthened everything. Even when David was being hounded by Jonathan's son, I'm sorry, Jonathan's father, Jonathan went and encouraged David and strengthened David as well. Let's look at, at another verse here that really uh, shows us David's heart and what he really draws. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 23. And this is again, David is out with his men and they're fighting the Philistines. But yet, for whatever reason, his men become scared. They, they lose their focus on where they want to be at. And here in verse 1 of chapter 23, it says, When David was told, Look, the Philistines are fighting at Clea and are looting the threshing floors, he inquired on the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack the Philistines? The Lord answered him, Go, attack the Philistines and save Clea. But David's men said to him, here in Judah, we are afraid. How much more then if we go to Kaliah against the Philistine forces? Once again, David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him, Go to Kaliah, for I am going to give the Philistines in your hand. So David and his men went to Kaliah, fought the Philistines, and carried off their livestock, inflicting heavy losses on the Philistines, and saved the people of Kaliah. So here, even in the battle, in the thick of things, right, David was more in touch with his relationship with God than he was with the wisdom that was around him. 
because he had everybody in his camp saying, oh, we can't do that. We're going to get creamed. We're afraid. And David's like, I really need to seek some godly advice. I really need to talk to somebody that's going to really give me clarity in all this. You know, I know for me, I have to recognize myself where I'm at and ask myself those questions. Am I willing to listen to the noise that's around me? Or do I really want to go after spiritual advice? And for me, I need input in my life. It's, it's uh, This coming week, or actually next week, it'll be four years at Gapsoon and Joey and I moved here. And, you know, some of you know my story. Um, I'll be the first to admit, I didn't point a, map, uh, point a finger on the map and said, I'm going to go to Staten Island. Let me move there, yeah. One, I didn't even know Staten Island existed. It, was there anything outside Chicago, really? But in my heart of hearts, I didn't want to leave Chicago. I was born and raised there. My folks still live there. Both my parents, praise God, are still living and breathing. Out of uh, six siblings, two of them are nearby. Um, and then Gibson and I served in the church there for 14 years. That was our first church here in the States that we came together. Because prior to that, we were in Korea. You know, I had depth there. I had investments there. You know, I've got family there. So I didn't want to move. But God says, here's an opportunity. Go. And it took a lot for me to really buy into that. And what I mean by that is, if I would have sat there and simmered on it, I'm like, no, I'm not going to go. Why should I leave all this? Meanwhile, prior to that time, I was out of work for, for about 10 months at that time. So, you know, we still had clothes on our back. We still had food on the table. But, you know, for whatever reason, God held off all these jobs until he hit this one for me. I don't know why. But during that time, I had to go back to my disciples and even real close friends that were here in New Jersey that just moved on us. It's funny how that worked out, too. Um, but we had to seek a lot of godly advice. And I remember that was the, the, the day, actually, the day that I got called to, saying that they hired me here, we were heading to Pure and Simple Conference. And I went in there, and I was down face and, and just dragging. And Tom's like, what's the matter? I'm like, well, I just got a job. I just got a job offer. And he goes, great. And I'm like, but it's in New York. He goes, great. And I'm like, did you just hear what I said? And it, it was funny how God just really orchestrated all that. Because in 2011, I lost my job. That summer... Uh, two of our closest friends, Tom and Carol Newley, uh, they're in partnership with us with the Purity Ministry. They moved to Ann Arbor. So, of course, I wanted to move to Ann Arbor. Hey, I want to be close to my buddies. And I was still close to home. That never panned out. 
Um, and then another close friend of ours in Chicago that was also part of Purity Ministry, they moved down to Florida. And it's like, everybody's moving. Why? And God's like, here, your turn is next. And I'm like, but why? Because I want you to trust me, is what God was saying. God doesn't like us being complacent. God doesn't like us being comfortable. God wants to basically keep us on our toes. You know, at work, are we complacent at work that we go, oh, you know, I know all this, I know all that, and let technology run rapid? Ask John about that one. That doesn't work out very well. Because we always got to be on the cutting edge or we'll be passed over, right? In life, that's how it is. Same thing with our relationship with God. If we just maintain, we're never going to grow. If we just kind of hang out, we're going to be passed over. If we just kind of like, oh, I'll do this or I'll, I'll do that every once in a while. Yeah, I'll, I'll support you from back here. God's like, but I need you here. Are we really listening to what God has instilled in us? Do we allow ourselves a regular time with a sister or a brother to get encouragement, to get uh, built up, to get uh, trained, to get rebuked, to get insightfulness? Do we allow ourselves that? Or do we say, oh, we can handle it. We can do this. How about you, brothers? Do you listen to another brother in words that may not be the words that you want to hear, but other words God wants you to hear? Or even better on that, do you listen to the sister that taps you on the shoulder and say, hey, brother, this is what I see. Do you allow your heart to accept those words? Or are we too arrogant and prideful and stubborn and whatever else not to accept those words? That's what God wants us to do. That's how we build the gap between us and God. That's why I married my wife. Her name is Gap, right? I got I to fill in that gap somewhere, right? <laughs> ah, I like that one. Yeah. God allowed her to fill in that gap in between me and him so that she could even tell me, hey, I don't like the way you're doing this because God wants me to be closer to him. We need that balance in our life because if we don't, you know, just knowing it and not putting it in practice isn't going to do us very much. That's like saying, yeah, I know how to, how to drive the Indy 500, but you don't know what the car looks like. You know, are we allowing God to really massage our hearts and our minds so that he's the one prevalent in our life and not ourselves? You know, I think uh, the greatest example that Jesus showed us is his humility and his love and, and just a, a humble heart that he shared with us. If you go to Mark chapter 14, and it's funny because this is the lateral translation of what um, Wayne was sharing earlier. In Mark chapter 14, 
Starting in verse 32, the Bible reads, They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here and pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My heart is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if it's possible, this hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now here there's two different things I wanted to see in this verse. And this is something that we see and we hear all the time. But do we really look at what Jesus is saying here? First of all, who did Jesus go to? He went to his father, right? But who did he take with him? His three closest friends, right? His three, if you will, his partner, his uh, discipleship partners. He took all three of them. And it's like, why did Jesus do that? He wanted to remind them when they're struggling what they need to do. They need to try to get some godly advice, right? But also... He showed them something else. Who's Jesus? He's got him in the flesh, right? You mean to tell me God had to go on his knees and cry out and sweated so hard that he bled just to get his heart where God wanted him to be at? Absolutely. So if Jesus had to do that, how much more do we need to edify what Jesus does? If Jesus was struggling with something and he needed to be connected with his father, what's that say about you and I? If we're struggling with something or if we're contemplating something or if we're just totally lost, have no idea where to go, how much more do we need to edify what Jesus was doing here? And reciprocate what he did. And really cry out to somebody, hey, can you help me? Can you really search my heart? You know, one of my favorite verses is Psalms 139. Seek me, search my heart, seek any offensive ways. Do we allow God to do that? And do we give somebody else permission to do that for us as well? Or do we go to one another, hey, bro, how you doing? Good. Great. Really? That's what I say, really? Wow. How's your purity? Oh, great. Really? That's not what I'm getting. Those, those are just questions I ask. But do we really do that with one another? Do we edify what Jesus showed his brothers? And then another thing I want you to see in this verse here, too, How did he call, or how did he refer to Peter? 
He called Peter Simon. That's Peter's real name. Jesus gave Peter his name, Peter, when he was baptized, right? When he started following Jesus. But Peter's real name, his God, his family-given name is Simon. Why did Jesus do that? Because Jesus wanted to remind Peter whom he really is. It's like, you were never Peter before. You were never the one that was the stronghold. You might have been the manager in your company where you were. You might have been the leader of the fishermen that were with you that you eventually brought with you to me. But you were all over the board. It wasn't until I transformed your heart that you were able to go out in the boat, throw your net out, and catch a great deal of fish that you couldn't even pull in by yourself. That's who you really are, Simon. And that's when Simon got it. He's like, hmm, you're right. I've got to remind myself, like I have to remind myself, whom I am in my heart of hearts so that whom I am now doesn't get in the way. Because it's so easy for me to think, oh, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, look at all these things I do. But in reality, it's like I have no clue what I'm doing. I just kind of make it up as I go. And by that I mean every time I have a question about something, I go to a brother. It's, uh, this coming weekend, Gapsoon and I are teaching a class at the conference. You know, the, 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 Tom's so crazy, too. He gives me a class, and he wants me to talk about emotions. And me and emotions, we're, we're, we got a love-hate relationship. <laughs> but it, it's, it's like he always does that so that I have to draw from deep waters, and he knows I can't do it on my own. And so... You know, because I married my wife, God allowed that gap in between he and I to where she could just really push me. I want you to go deeper. And I'm like, okay. And I go to Sheridan. Sheridan, this is what Gap Soon says. He goes, well, that sounds pretty good. I want you to go, I want you to talk about that more. Then I go to Daniel. Daniel, this is what I got to do. And he goes, well, that's good. That's what you need to do. And so I'm trying to call everybody, trying to hear what I want to hear, and everybody's telling me what God wants me to hear. And I'm like, okay. But that's what we need in our life. That's what allows us to become true disciples of Christ. Because I don't know about you, but when I was baptized, I said, Jesus is Lord. And by that I meant like Jonathan did to David, here's everything, Jesus says, here's everything I have. Now you can be one with me. And so I'm like, okay, so that means nothing that I have or that I think of or that I even can consume can be of my own. I've got to really be able to seek out advice and see if that aligns the same thing what God wants of me. Because you know, I don't know. I, I can kind of guess what God wants, but that's only my arrogance will get, get in the way. My pride would get in the way. I need others' advice to really call us to that. Jesus needed his friends around him. So if Jesus had to do that, 
how much more do we? So I want to leave you with that uh, this week as the uh, song leaders are coming up. I want you to, to really think about whom do you have in your life that is really going to call you closer to God so that you and God can be on the same playing field versus God's to the east and you're to the west. Amen.